Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, the UN says human rights are under threat in many countries, DRC government rejects Human Rights Watch report, and Tanzania mourns 14 peacekeepers killed in the DRC. In economics news, Steinhoff scandal to affect clothing and textile sector in South Africa and in sports news, Zambia bows out of Kosafa Under-20 Cup. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta is ruling out dialogue with the opposition leader Rayla Odinga, who boycotted the recent election and plans a mock inauguration this week. President Kenyatta says the time for politics is over and the country should focus on development until the next election in 2022. The Kenyan government says Odinga's planned swearing-in on Tuesday would amount to treason. Odinga brought a successful legal challenge against Kenyatta's August re-election, but boycotted the repeat vote in October, saying there had not been enough electoral reforms to guarantee a credible vote. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the sooner Palestinians accept that Jerusalem is Israel's capital, the better it will be for peace in the region. His comments come amid protests in the Arab and Muslim world against U.S. President Donald Trump's decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital, reversing decades of U.S. policy. Netanyahu was speaking at a press briefing in Paris in France. Uh, Paris is the capital of France. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It's been the capital of Israel for 3,000 years. It's been the capital of the Jewish state for 70 years. We respect your history and your choices, and we know that as friends, you respect ours. I think this is also essential for peace. The United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres says the Trump administration's decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital risks compromising efforts to bring peace between the Israelis and Palestinians. Guterres was speaking after spokesperson for the American Vice President Mike Pence strongly criticized the Palestinian Authority for saying it would refuse to meet Pence on his forthcoming trip to the region. The BBC's David Willis reports. Such is the level of anger in the Arab world over Donald Trump's decision that the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, is refusing to meet him. A spokesman for the vice president said it was unfortunate that the Palestinian Authority was, as he put it, walking away again from an opportunity to discuss the future of the region. The spokesman said the Trump administration remained undeterred in its efforts to achieve peace in the Middle East. 
The bodies of 14 United Nations peacekeepers from Tanzania killed in the Democratic Republic of Congo will be repatriated in the coming days. The soldiers are all members of the Tanzania People's Defense Forces participating in a UN peacekeeping operation in the conflict-torn eastern region of the country. Their base in North Kivu province came under attack by suspected Ugandan rebels on Thursday. Tanzania's People Defense Force Chief of Staff Lieutenant General James Makwabola says preparations to repatriate the bodies of the combatants in collaboration with the UN is underway. Correspondent Gabriel Zakaria reports. It is a report that shook the nation after the State House Communication Department issued a condolence message from the President of Tanzania, Dr. John Magufuli, express his heartbreak as 14 Tanzanians peacekeepers killed by militant suspects in Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. The report of the fallen soldiers who were in line of duty in peacekeeping mission in DRC was released on Friday evening before the families of the combatants issued the information of the lost lives. And finally, a convicted international weapons smuggler who was arrested in Cape Town in South Africa after being on the run for two years will be extradited to the Netherlands. In April this year, Hoos Kuvenhoven was sentenced by a Dutch court to 19 years in prison for his involvement in war crimes committed by former Liberian President Charles Taylor. The court found that between 2000 and 2003, Kuvenhoven had smuggled weapons for Taylor's regime. South African police commander in Cape Town, Jeremy Vieri says Interpol issued a warrant for his arrest. We brought him to court shortly after four on Friday after tracing him after months of work to a house in Fresno. The matter has been postponed for a bail application on Monday. The court ordered that he be held at Seapoint Police Station as the prison correctional services facilities had already closed. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And human rights are the foundation of peaceful societies, yet they are under attack in many countries globally, according to the Deputy UN Human Rights Chief Andrew Gilmore. The danger of intimidation and reprisals faced by courageous human rights defenders are a visible manifestation of this backlash, he stressed. This Human Rights Day, 10th December, also marks the beginning of a year-long celebration to kick off the 70th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which establishes the equality and dignity of every person. Gilmore spoke to UN Radio's Liz Scafidi about the Declaration's relevance in today's world. It is undeniably still relevant today. It is the most translated document in history. It is, in almost any language, regarded as possibly the most sort of beautiful document in history in the sense that it, it lays out so perfectly all the, the rights that need to be claimed and defended. And at a time when many human rights are under threat, I would say it's even more relevant now than it was in the past. We have been seeing a backlash against numerous human rights advocates 
including on the rights of women. How would you speak to that? It is certainly the case that we are seeing a backlash of human rights, and I, I regret this tremendously. We had, um, from the late 70s onwards, perhaps 30 years of advances on human rights across the board. But in the last few years, I would certainly see a backlash, and one of the most visible manifestations of that is the danger and the intimidation and the reprisals that are faced by courageous human rights defenders. And this is something that the entire human rights movement is aware of and needs to step up its defense of those who are on the front line in countries that uh, that, that clearly, where, where the security forces and the government have decided that human rights are actually a threat to them, and they have started to take these unfortunate measures against human rights defenders. Human rights has no boundaries, as we've seen discrimination running rampant against many minorities in Asia, America, Africa, and Europe. How can this trend be reversed? I do not recall a worse time for minorities, whether it's in Europe, North America, Asia, and Africa. I, I see minorities of all sorts, a religious, ethnic, sexual many of them, and there seems to have been a, a backlash against them, and there is some terrible rhetoric used against them, and they are scapegoated as somehow being the, the source of society's ills. So we, we are trying to address that in many ways, um, one of which is human rights education and getting people to understand, first of all, knowing what their own rights are, and secondly, how to stand up for other people's rights is a crucial way of opposing this, this form of, of discrimination against minorities. And we also know so many people are on the move these days, immigrants, migrants, refugees. Do you feel that they are, their rights are being abused as well? Yes, I do. I think that in many places, migrants and refugees are unfairly treated as a, as a threat and also, as I mentioned earlier, scapegoated for the things that are going wrong. One particular place where, where we are deeply, deeply troubled is Libya, from which many migrants from Africa seek to reach Europe, crossing the Mediterranean at great risk themselves. And what has happened is that they're being turned back, many of them, and or even those who, who do not even make it to the sea are picked up and put in truly unspeakable detention conditions. Um, some of the worst anywhere in the world is a, is a blot on humanity, frankly. How can an individual person help support human rights? That is a very good question. And I think throughout the coming year of the, the 70th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, we need to get people to stand up more. Uh, for example, you know, the, the Women's March in the United States earlier this year, or, or the way that people responded to incoming refugees in, in Germany two years ago, or the, the way Americans went to the airports in January this year when people were caught up in the ban. The, there are many, many ways that people can stand up for other people's rights. And during this year, as I said, we will be uh, urging people to, to do more and to speak up more wherever possible. The Human Rights Day, is there anything you'd like to say about that? Human Rights Day is important for us because it always it allows us to go back and remind ourselves about the motivations for why there was a Universal Declaration of Human Rights in the first place uh, in 1948, which, it, which came out not only of the horrors of total war and genocide, but also from the 
Great Depression, before the Second World War. The rights contained in the Universal Declaration cover the whole spectrum, um, civil and political, but also economic, social and cultural rights. And this is always a good way of either reminding those who already knew or teaching those who didn't already know about the great importance of the Universal Declaration and, and precisely why it is so relevant. Hi, I'm Pulem Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebat, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. It's 8.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The Democratic Republic of Congo's government says Human Rights Watch used hatred to produce a fake report against the authorities. The report accused the DRC government of recruiting former M23 rebels to quash protests against President Joseph Kabila in December last year. Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The government statement was made indeed as a reaction to the human rights report in which the American organization expresses concerns for fear of more violence and repression as new demonstrations are expected here around the end of this month. According to that report, at least 62 people have been killed in this country last year between December 19th and 22nd by more than 200 former rebels of the March 23rd movement well known as M23. The DRC security services recruited from both Uganda and Rwanda. These countries' authorities have rejected such a report. They question human rights, what neutrality, and believe the report's content reflects a hatred the organization's director in charge of Central Africa, Aida Soya, has developed against the DRC and its president, Joseph Kabila. Marie-Ange Mushobekwa is the DRC Minister of Human Rights. A human rights organization is supposed to be neutral, but Soya acts really like an opposition militant and has stopped being objective. She has lost any credibility because she uses her heart full of hatred. The Human Rights Watch report specifies that the former M23 rebels operated here in Kinshasa, in the eastern town of Goma, and in the southeastern town of Lubumbashi. What's needed now is this country's authorities to investigate and bring more light according to the UN mission here. Monisco, director of the Public Information Division, believes such problems would be solved if both the DRC government and former M23 rebels could implement the Nairobi Declaration. Charles Bambara told Channel Africa an investigation is really needed as the allegation is too serious and the report is from an experienced organization. This is serious allegation that need to be investigated. Human Rights Watch is an international NGO working in this specific 
kind of field. So we hope that the authority here in the DRC will be investigating that to clarify the situation. Yes or no, it happened that there was some recruitment of ex-rebel belonging to M23 and brought here to control opposition rallies. What we can say also is that uh, this kind of situation could be solved if the declaration of Nairobi signed between different uh, stakeholders was implemented. We know that it is not implemented on the ground. And as far as the Nairobi declaration is concerned, the region's heads of state have called on talks to resume between both the Democratic Republic of Congo's government and former rebels of the M23. At a recent meeting of heads of states in Brazzaville, different participants said a new dialogue is needed in order to look at means and ways to implement the Nairobi declaration that would allow those former rebels to come back home. And indeed, this is the only way for them to come back here in the DRC. According to the director of the UN Mission Public Information Division, Charles Bambara believes the agreement implementation is suffering of lack of will. I think there is some lack of uh, will to implement the agreement signed within the Nairobi declaration. I think it needs to be implemented. So we are calling the authority to renegotiate this declaration with the M23 and brought back into the country ex-rebel belonging to M23 who are still in Uganda and also in Rwanda. They need to be back but it is only within the framework of this uh, declaration that they need to come back in their country. Only three weeks remain before December 31st and opposition parties see Civil movements and organizations from the civil society have announced the demonstrations to be held in order to force President Joseph Kabila out and demand elections. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Tanzania's People Defense Force has expressed grief and shock as 14 peacekeepers died, two went missing while 44 others injured last Thursday during an attack in North Kivu in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Tanzania's Defense Force Chief of Staff Lieutenant General James Mwakibolwa said preparations to bring back bodies of the fallen soldiers are underway. Gabriel Zakaria reports from Dar es Salaam. It is a report that shook the nation after the State House Communication Department issued a condolence message from the President of Tanzania, Dr. John Magufuli, expressed his heartbreak as 14 Tanzanians peacekeepers killed by militant suspects in Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. The report of the fallen soldiers who were in line of duty in peacekeeping mission in DRC was released on Friday evening before the families of the combatants issued the information of the lost lives. Tanzanians People Defense Force TPDF Chief of Staff, Lieutenant General James Mwakibolua, here explains. Kwa masikitiko makubwa, tumepoteza askari wetu kuminawane. There is with it we saw that we have lost of 14 soldiers, 44 injured and the search of whereabouts of two others were yet to be found is going on. It is unfortunate that our warriors died in the land of duty while peacekeeping DRC, who would forever remember their caliber. The December 7 fortnight attack this year was the worst in our peacekeeping history in DRC since this mission in 2011 to our country. Nevertheless, our battalion duty is capable of implementing its laws with great courage, braveness, and all the tactics needed. I'd like to ensure all Tanzanians that our army will never be disparated and never farm but raise high the national flag at national and the international arena.
tukio hili halitatuvunja moyo na kamwe jeshi la ulinzi wa wananchi wa Tanzania halitatetereka on the other hand the UN secretary general Antonio Guterres has condemned the attack and mentioned it as the waste on UN peacekeepers in the organization's recent history It is another indication of the enormous sacrifices made by troop contributing countries in the service of global peace. The TPDF chief of staff Lieutenant General Mwakibolua added that the attack will never intimidate the forces from Tanzania and all measures will be taken to ensure peace and stability of the country will always be considered and there will be no one to threaten their battalions in peacekeeping in Diarasi. Our country is pure safe and it will still be so. And to anyone who will try to threaten our tranquility will be dealt accordingly. Our military forces history do pursue the best of it. The all procedural council returning back our heroes are underway through our government and the United Nations. The Tanzanian Police Defense Force and the government are taking the necessary procedures, among them investigating the area that took among them investigating the area the attack took place. The attack soldiers is part of a battalion, is a detachment that were near the river and a constituted large part of force of men who rose. We know we have rose, out of doubt. It's clear that the enemies or the invaders encountered the laws that they cannot openly guarantee According to Lieutenant General Mwakibulwa, Tanzania's forces' presence in DRC is still strong in peacekeeping mission, despite several attacks and intimidation from the enemies who do not wish to see peace and stability in Democratic Republic of Congo. Established in 2010, MONUSCO, the United Nations' largest peacekeeping mission, has recorded 93 fatalities of military, police, and civilian personnel. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Tanzania's Mwananchi Communications Limited continues to pressure authorities and human rights organizations to intensify the search for its journalist, Azori Gwanda, who has been missing for 18 days now. The company's managing director, Francis Nanai, appealed to the government of Tanzania and police authority to help look for the coast region-based journalist who disappeared on November the 21st. Our reporter, Gabriel Zakaria, has more from Dar es Salaam. According to a reporter's wife, Miss Anna Pinoni, four men driving an unmarked white Toyota Land Cruiser arrived at her husband's workplace in Kibiti, one of notorious area in coast region, at around 8 a.m. and took him away, telling those who were present that they wanted to speak to him. Through a wind of the vehicle, she says, her husband inquired where she had left the key to the house. Miss Pinoni said she was allowed to speak to Mr. Gwanda who was seated in the back of the vehicle. He told her he would be away on an emergency trip and that he would be back later. Mwananchi Communications Limited Managing Director Francis Nanai who held a press conference at the firm's headquarters in Dar es Salaam, Commercial City, says his company and the entire staff still hoped that the journalist would be found safe and sound. Though the government efforts is highly required. 
Okay, basically, we don't know the reasons. We don't know who abducted him, and we don't know who is sponsoring that abduction. But what we know is that he disappeared on um, on 21st of November, and we got this information from uh, his wife, who is Anna Pinoni. is uh, the one who reported to the police, and then reported back to us that uh, his husband is missing. So basically, we don't know the motive. And we are actually in a blackout. We don't know anything in terms of the reasons and the motive behind uh, his disappearance. So our pray to um, security organs is to help us to identify because them they have uh, a long hand and they can use their investigative machinery to identify uh, where the is the whereabouts of this uh, gentleman. So basically for us was just to ask them to assist us on that one because as a media house, yes, we can do our journalistic investigations, but we don't have uh, a lot of uh, uh, systems to do exactly what we ask them to do. Mr. Nanai, who was surrounded by his colleague employees, most of who were dressed in black during a press conference, reiterated the authority to make a crackdown that could lead to the success of finding the journalist alive. Apart from requesting the government help, the company has also written a letter to the Speaker of the National Assembly of Tanzania, the Commission for Human Rights and Good Governance, and the Legal and Human Rights Center about the disappearance of its reporter who went missing mysteriously. Police Commander for Kibiti Special Zone Ones Molianga says all efforts have been deployed in the area to investigate the missing circumstantial of the journalist who became famous among the readers through his investigative art of reporting. We have not discovered anything yet concerning the missing of Mr. Gwanda. It is still not alarming that he might be in danger. Putting into consideration how he left his home, he informed his wife that he would be traveling for some days. We are being told that he was taken by strangers using the car. But it is a bizarre for a person to accept entering strangers' car without alerting that he is in danger. Because of that situation, we cannot tell where he is or what he has been facing all these days or tell who took him. Because it seems, because it seems he himself had no doubt towards the men who took him. Even his wife had no doubt. It seems they were familiar to each other. Otherwise, he should have shouted for help. Tanzania Editor Forum Chairman Theophile Makunga echoed security organs to make sure Mr. Gwanda was found safe and sound. Actually, it was a, it was a big blow for the media fraternity in Tanzania, where we have we have uh, witnessed one of our journalists was kidnapped by unknown people, and uh, until today, the 18th day since he was kidnapped, we have never seen him, and his family has never seen him, and we are wondering what has happened to him. What we are asking the the, the government is uh, to, to 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 give us. Uh, information about the whereabouts of this journalist who we think huh, we think he was taken by those who, who took him because of his uh, his duties so we are that means that uh, the the media fraternity is shocked because that has threatened its independence of doing its job so 
We are praying for the government and uh, and, uh, and and his organs to look for this guy so that he can join back us in our in our endeavor to write. Mr. Gwanda covered extensively the string of mysterious killings targeting local government leaders and police officers that shook Kibiti and nearby areas for several months. The government responded by launching a security operation after at least 40 people had been murdered. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. On the headlines, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta rules our dialogue with the opposition leader Raila Odinga who boycotted the recent election and plans a mock inauguration this week. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the sooner Palestinians accept that Jerusalem is Israel's capital, the better it will be for peace in the region. And the bodies of 14 United Nations peacekeepers from Tanzania killed in the Democratic Republic of Congo will be repatriated in the coming days. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. 
South Africa's ruling ANC presidential hopeful Dr. Zuelim Kize says he is optimistic that the party's much-anticipated leadership elective conference will be successful. This is amid widening speculation that the conference could collapse due to a number of court challenges brought against a number of provincial structures like in the Free State and Eastern Cape provinces. Tseboe Ganeng has more. A warm welcome to Dr. Zulim Kize as he made it through a packed hall at Mdeni Township south of Johannesburg. With few days left before the staging of the governing party's leadership elective conference, the NC Treasurer General was in high spirits as he would potential supporters. Reacting to reports that the conference might collapse due to a series of court challenges against the legitimacy of some provincial leadership structures, Dr. Mkise said he was optimistic that the much-awaited gathering will proceed without any further hindrance. We have had these concerns, people are raising those issues, but from where we stand we want the conference to continue. We want to make sure that all the court challenges don't stand in the way of a conference. We want to make sure that the branch general meetings disputes are resolved and they don't stand in the way of the conference. We also want to ensure that our members are orderly, the way they behave, they are able to show the discipline that the ANC conference deserves, that at the end this ANC conference, whatever robust debate and disagreements must be resolved so that at the end the ANC must emerge as a united uh, organization with a leadership that will embrace, that will be able to uh, you know, generate as much confidence from the communities and deal with the problems of the people, the issues of unemployment, the issues of poverty, the issues of building an economy that is transformed and is growing, the issues of dealing with all the social challenges of crime, of poor education, all of these need to be kept, uh, uh, you know, they, they need to be given attention to. So when we get out of the conference, we need to focus on those issues and having solved all our internal problems. In response to concerns by the governing party's veterans that the ANC leadership has violated its values and principles, Dr. Mkize said there is a need to engage stalwarts, describing them as a reservoir of knowledge. Uh, we actually have a lot of those veterans that we respect, and I believe it's important for us to keep the respect of those veterans in high regard so that they can continue to play a role as a moral guide in terms of how the organization is going. They represent the spirit of the African National Congress and therefore would like to you know, encourage all of them to work very closely with the African National Congress leadership at national executive and other levels so that they must always continue to offer the guidance that you need. They're also the repository of the you know, uh, institutional memory and the history of the African National Congress and our struggle and therefore their role will always be vital in building that you know, kind of vibrancy that we need of the members of the ANC who are young but who are also uh, you know, uh, connected to the history of the ANC and this contribution because of our support with them, the veterans as mentors. Close to 5,000 delegates would gather in Nazareth, south of Johannesburg at the weekend for the ANC's national conference, which will elect a new leadership with the president to succeed Jacob Zuma as leader of the ruling party. Tsebo Ikaneng in Soweto. Disgruntled members of South Africa's ruling African National Congress in the Free State Province are heading back to court. They are challenging the party's decision to convene provincial elective conference. Concerned members say the ANC has failed to resolve disputes at 84 branches. They want the outcomes of the elective conference be declared null and void. Tabiso Khadebe has more. 
disgruntled Free State ANC members, mostly supporters of ANC presidential hopeful Cyril Ramaphosa, have boycotted the conference. In a letter written to ANC lawyers, aggrieved members have also challenged the legality of the Provincial General Council. The PGC has endorsed former AU Commission Chair and ANC MP Dr. Nkosazana Zamini Zuma for ANC presidency. Selodi Tebe, one of the disgruntled members, claims that some of the delegates at the provincial elective conference were nominated from illegal branch general meetings. That immediately throws into question the entire legitimacy of the conference. The credentials are a critical component of any conference so that even those that may be deemed as losers can with grace accept the outcome of that particular conference. Munna Pulentamu, a member of the Free State CR17 campaign, claims there were widespread irregularities at branch general meetings. All branches invitation are only issued to members who share the same view with the provincial leadership of the ANC in the province on a preferred candidate for the ANC presidency. Those who hold different views are prejudiced, particularly those who prefer a, a presidential candidate different from the one preferred by Ace Mahashule and his provincial executive committee. This exercise has continued despite the order of the 29th uh, as, as issued by the High Court in the Free State. Meanwhile, ANC Secretary William Buluani says they have complied with the court order. We are in compliance. They have said the 29 branches that must be rerun, and then they give us the list of those branches that needed to be rerun, and then we have rerun those branches, and then we will be compliant 100%. The ANC says it is undeterred by a looming court action. Tabiso Kharebe in Bloemfontein. Have we untapped opportunities that can allow the acceleration of the implementation of climate global goals? This is one of the key questions that was on top of the agenda at the Sustainable Tourism Development Conference that took place in Kasani, Botswana last week. The meeting heard that the transport industry has a big role to play in ecotourism. For more on this issue, Khumutu Mopolane spoke to Vincent Benezic, Transport Analysts at the International Transport Forum. Reducing the CO2 emissions from uh, aviation, so aviation to bring tourists to the destination will be very difficult. There are ways and there are measures that are being put in place at the moment, but it will still be very difficult. So it is very important to ensure that the emissions that come from the aviation actually bring something to the destination in form of economic development, uh, in form of engagement with communities and so on. Practically, how can this happen? I think there are several ways how this can happen. Maybe one first idea is to encourage having longer trips and trips that visit multiple places within a single countries especially for long-distance tourism because when you multiply the number of trips you also multiply the number of emissions from aviation and so it's uh, it's a good way is to ensure that you fully benefit from the uh, from the time at the destination another way maybe is to work across the whole um, maybe tourism value chain so having the transport sector and the tourism sector work together so that the tourists can be offered packages that actually actually bring this. So I don't know if there's a lot of research that has been done already on uh, how to measure what is brought to the destination, not only in terms of economy, but also in terms of social development and social equity. But I think it's important that uh, all these different communities come together and then they can work to offer tourists an experience that is worth uh, its emissions, basically. And this certainly then not only benefits the tourists, perhaps from a financial point of view, but also sustainable tourism does get to benefit, doesn't it? 
Yes, uh, indeed. And I think the importance is that also bringing these tourists to sustainable destinations. So um, because if you actually use the plane and then you go to somewhere where you actually emit a lot of emissions, produce a lot of waste, this will not be efficient in any way. So it's actually making sure that the, the, the plane that you take brings you to somewhere which is sustainable as well. I think, for instance, Botswana is doing a very, is doing a very good job uh, around this and South Africa as well, actually. I, I think we have examples in Africa that show that it's possible. So it's only a question of having better interactions with the different countries to show how this can uh, this can be done what is your stance on president trump's uh, uh, <laughs> stance on, yeah. on 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 the paris agreement you, you have a lot of uh, companies a lot of states in the u.s who are also uh, willing to uh, to respect the engagement of the paris agreement and this shows great uh, great prospect for for reducing emissions but actually what i want to say more generally is that uh, i've seen recently in the in the past couple of years that this question of emissions has been really brought to the top of the table and more and more people are talking about this and more and more people are realizing what it is and that even if they can't decrease emissions directly they know that it's a subject that they need to take into, to take into account when they think about their businesses or their policies so i think it's a it's a really good step forward that we are, we are all taking at the moment that's vincent benezet transport analyst at the international transport forum speaking to Komuto mopulane in kasane Botswana. Nigerian legislators have called for tougher laws to deal with perpetrators of domestic violence and safeguard the interests and well-being of victims. Participants at a media forum on the domestic violence say even men suffer immensely from domestic violence but do not report because of ego or cultural themes. Channel Africa's correspondent in Lagos, Collins Atuhengbe, has more. Violence in any form has never been attractive in a positive form and because it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth each time it occurs, many people take exception to being treated in such manner as would put them in danger. But then it has not stopped either, the worst form being domestic violence. The effect of domestic violence on the society cannot be measured because it is like a leaven which leavens the whole lump, just like the little foxes that destroys the vine. Because of the absence of plans and social weaknesses, Dr. Olufemi Kayode, Executive Director of Media Concern for Women and Children, says domestic violence is common in all spheres where human dwells, but what is lacking is adequate framework to protect victims. I will say it's not just a Nigerian issue. The same thing happening even with developing countries across Africa, across the world, developed country. You have this violence against women is happening everywhere. But the thing there is, um, what do we have in place? If I step out, there is nothing in society that prepares me to come out of my home with children. I work with survivors. There is no plan for them, whether by government or by private sectors. And even for those who actually are educated and even for those who have their businesses. The concern for victims, mostly women, prompted a lot of advocacy and legislators went to work and passed a bill to deal with the perpetrators of domestic violence with a call to toughen the laws. Speaking at the presentation and debate on the issue, the former Speaker of the Nigerian House of Representatives and now Governor of Sokoto State, Aminu Tambuwal, says the law must be toughened. The special assistant to the President on diaspora matters, Abike Dabiri Ewa and Binta Bello, a legislator, sued for better treatment of women. We need to toughen the laws on domestic violence. As reported, we have, as a House, already passed the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Bill. We're just asking for a fair treatment for the women. Yes, there's a lot more that can be done, but no matter what we do, what we keep advocating is that it doesn't matter where you are as a woman, wherever you find yourself, just lift other women up. It's very sympathetic, very critical for Nigerian women, and I think the right time to act is now. 
But what form does domestic violence take? Messi Aigbe, a Nigerian actor who was recently brutalized by her husband, narrates her experience and why she condoned the mistreatment before she finally moved out of her matrimonial home. Every time he beats me, he begs. He gets family members to beg me. He gets his close friends to beg me. And he promises that he's going to change. He never did. My husband is, is a violent person. He's, he's someone who, when he gets angry, gets physical. So it's not just about beating me, his wife, Mercy. It's about him getting physical with anybody when he gets violent. Besides the fact that I, I just wanted a home and because I loved him and because I hope and, hoped and prayed that it was going to change, I stayed because of my children. I didn't want to be moving from one man to the other. And I just, I just wanted a home. It wasn't easy for me to walk away. Walking away is one way to keep safe from abuse and torture, but what is there to look up to when the odds are against you as a victim? How do you cope thereafter, knowing that the social system favors tolerance and forgiving the offending partner in the midst of the evidence that even men suffer serious domestic violence but can't speak out for ego's sake? Josephine F. Achukuma, Executive Director, Project Alert on Domestic Violence, says where everyone's well-being is the concern of all. Religious groups have taken the center stage to use their social influence to promote good character and unconditional love that engenders hope and oneness. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohengwe for Channel Africa News. Our economics update up next with Tabisolo Hoko. Thanks, Sabalungila, and good morning. South Africa's largest trade federation, Kusatu, has warned that one of the biggest corporate scandals involving retail stain half international will have far-reaching repercussions on workers in South Africa's clothing and textile industry. This comes after Steinhoff revealed accounting irregularities. The scandal has shocked investors who had backed the rapid reinvention of the South African retail empire. It has also put the Government Employees Pension Fund at stake. Chris Duviesi, Steinhoff's largest shareholder and chairperson, is in charge. This after Chief Executive Marcus Juster, who oversaw its expansion to one of the world's largest household goods retailers over nearly 20 years, resigned. Kasatu's General Secretary, Begin Jalinjali, says that they are concerned about the effect of the scandal on the workers. But there are many others uh, who are going to be really affected, which really is just frightening to us. I mean, our union, our affiliate, the Clothing and Textile Workers Union, have indicated that there are a number of factories in which they organize, which are part of this group and which are, are being affected. They have sought a meeting to meet with the standoff as quickly as possible so that we can be able to assess and understand what has happened to be able to determine what needed to be done. South Africa's minister in the presidency, Jeff Khatebe, says that the government is relieved that about 2 million people will start to receive their social grants through their banks from next month. Beneficiaries will also be able to collect their payments from places including the post office. 
This comes after the Social Security Agency SASA and the South African Post Office reach an agreement regarding the administration of social grants payments. In March of this year, the Constitutional Court ordered SASA and the Social Development Department to find an alternative service provider to cash paymaster services. Khatebe explains what the deal entails. For about 2 million beneficiaries who receive their grants through bank accounts, SASA has received the details of all these bank accounts and has confirmed them. And from the 1st January 2018, your grant will be paid directly into your bank account by SASA. The Congolese Lower House of Parliament has adopted a new mining code that will increase taxes and royalties. The code had originally been proposed in 2015 but was shelved because of fierce objections from mining companies which complained that it would put off investment. It now goes to the Senate for another vote. The lawmakers have affirmed, confirmed the bill's passage late on Friday, saying only relatively minor changes had been made. Congo is Africa's largest copper producer, a significant gold miner, and one of the world's leading sources of cobalt, increasingly sought after for use in electric car batteries. The Kenyan supermarket store, Nakumat's presence in Tanzania, has been reduced to a single outlet after the struggling retailer was evicted from a building in Moshi for failure to pay rent for over a year. The retail chain was on Friday forced to close its store following rent areas of an unknown amount. It's the retailer's third store to shut down in Tanzania in as many months. Nakumat's remaining branch in Tanzania is located in Dar es Salaam. The US dollar trades at 13.63 in South Africa. It's at 10.19 in Botswana and at 10.22 in Zambia. It's also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to the euro. Gold $1,250, platinum $889 an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $63.26 a barrel. You're listening to Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up is football news. The Zambia under-20 national football team's chances of making it to the semi-finals of the ongoing Kosafa Youth Championship have all but vanished after being held to a goalless draw by a spirited Malawi side. Host nation Zambia has picked up a point from a possible six at the tournament with a 2-0 loss on Wednesday to Uganda, while the nil-all draw did not go well with the fans who turned against their team. Zambia had gone into the match knowing too well that anything short of victory against Malawi would send them out of the competition. The Zambian team comprising largely of players from the under-17 team that won the Kosafa tournament in July came out of the woods, but the Malawians held their ground. Once it became clear that the match was headed for a stalemate, the local fans started booing their team whilst cheering on the Malawians. Earlier, Swaziland had given Zambia some hope after having drawn with Uganda to blow Group A open, but the draw leaves Zambia's chances on the urge. 
The defending champions will play Swaziland today at Ngana Stadium in the final group match. In other matches of the ongoing 2017 Mupani Copper Mines Kosafa Under-20 Championship Group C clash between Zimbabwe and Angola at Ngana Stadium in Kitu on Sunday. Zimbabwe played to a goalless draw in the opener while Angola were defeated 1-0 by Namibia. And in local football in South Africa, South African Premiership side Bloemfontein CLT coach Sabian coach Professor Veselin Jelusic says he's happy with the performance displayed by his charges in the Free State Derby victory. Celtic handed their neighbours a 3-0 hammering in a pulsating upset Premiership encounter at Dr. Petras Mulemela Stadium in Bloemfontein. We try to motivate them always the same way, but they could uh, see also that other teams are coming and they can choose between two solutions. One is to be among uh, five of the best uh, teams in the country and another one is to start to fight for relegation. So I think that they, they choose good option. On to rugby news, the Blitzborger squandered a 12-7 halftime lead before losing to arch rivals New Zealand in the cup semi-final of the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series in Cape Town. South Africa didn't have enough composure in the second half and eventually lost 19-12. to The clinical New Zealanders scored three tries to two for South Africa. Phillips Neyman got an early try for the home side. New Zealand were reduced to six men, but that did not stop them scoring a try through Tim Mickelson. But Cecil Africa restored South Africa's lead with another try late that gave them a 12-7 lead at the break. Vili Monico Roy scored New Zealand's second try early in the second half to make the score 12-all. Then Joe Weber silenced the home crowd when he scored the third try for New Zealand, who marched through to the cup final after winning the match 12-19. Springbok 7's coach Neil Powell says he's content with finishing in third place after beating Canada 19-17 in the playoff, but is happy about his team's inability to execute the game plan. Yeah, I think they know we, we let ourselves down. Um, obviously disappointed, not with the result, but with the effort and, and the, the way the guys implemented the processes. If you, if, one, if you want to control the game, you need to hang on to your, to your ball position. And unfortunately, I don't think we even put three phases um, together after each other So at any occasion. So unfortunately, it wasn't good enough. And finally, golf news. India's Shubhankar Bama Shama remained on course for his maiden European Tour victory as lightning, rain and hail forced the Jobek Open into today's finish. Shama ranked number 462nd in the world, has a tournament total of 22 under par and holds a four-shot lead over South Africa's Eric van Rooyen with 11 holes of his final round remaining. That's a sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. UN says human rights are under threat in many countries. 
DRC government rejects Human Rights Watch report and Tanzania mourns 14 peacekeepers killed in the DRC. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Selina Ndobong, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa. is Kajanin with the song title Sambolero. What do I